Yep. Bibles, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter number 12. Exodus chapter number 12. And I want to preach this evening on the Passover. And uh, as we think about Easter, of course, on Easter Sunday evening, and I hope you had a, a great afternoon as well. Apparently somebody, some of them, their, their nap went a little long. Uh, but, uh, but I'm glad that you set your alarm and you got up after a big meal like that. Sometimes it's hard to get up. Uh, man, I, I laid down and I took a nap. And sometimes on Sunday evening after I take a nap, I come in and I tell everyone good morning. That's how hard I slept in the afternoon. And so, uh, but I'm glad that you're here this evening. And, uh, and we're going to look at this evening the Passover. And um, as we think about the Passover, the Passover always comes before Easter. And it's been celebrated really since the second book of the Bible. You think about that, let that set in about how many thousands of years the Passover has been celebrated. I mean, we're looking at right now about 2,000 years, uh, give or take a, a few years, uh, since Jesus Christ was crucified and rose from the dead. And we certainly celebrate Easter. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But thinking about the Passover, it goes back all the way to the second book of the Bible, uh, Genesis, of course, being creation, and then Exodus, uh, where we celebrate the Passover. And, and really, the Passover ties in very closely uh, to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so it's something very relevant and very important uh, because Jesus uh, is our Passover lamb. And if we understand that and how that ties in, uh, boy, that's so important uh, for us to understand and grasp the significance of that because it's really been celebrated for so long and it's something that uh, would be good for us to understand. As we look at this and think about this, uh, I want us to understand this too, that uh, uh, the calendar is, is difficult to understand. I spent some time on, I don't remember this week, uh, which day it was, looking at the Hebrew calendar and looking at the American calendar. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening. Uh, but, but as we look at this, we're going to hopefully help you understand a little bit. I want to kind of teach you uh, some of the, the ideas behind that. And, and we're going to look at this passage in Exodus chapter number 12. So Exodus chapter number 12, verse number 1. We're just going to read two verses and then we'll pray and we'll get into the message this evening. Exodus 12, 1, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Let's stop right there and let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you for uh, your many blessings in our life. And Father, we thank you as we think about Easter, we think about the resurrection. Father, we think about Calvary and the cross of Calvary and the shed blood that you shed on Calvary, Father. And we think about the fact that you rose again from the dead. And God, may we be ever and eternally ever so grateful for the salvation that you've provided for us. And God, what what an immense amount of love and compassion you would have on the world so much that you would come yourself to this world, become a man, and suffer and die on the cross of Calvary, and then raise again from the dead that us, sinful man, could be saved. 
God, thank you truly for that sacrifice. Thank you for your love. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you'll speak through me this evening. I pray, Father, that you'll touch each and every heart as only you can. And God, may we uh, learn and, and understand uh, the significance of the Passover. And, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. As we dig into this, uh, I want us to notice here in the very first part uh, of this verse, or rather the first part of this chapter, the Bible says here in the second verse, it says, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. And I want you to notice the, fir the, the first thing that we notice is the month. Uh, the month. And, and as you're looking at this, uh, the Hebrew calendar is, is not based on uh, the revolution of the earth around the sun. We use what's called a Gregorian calendar, a Gregorian calendar is the, uh, the earth rotating around the sun, all right? And you might say, well, I've used that calendar my whole life. That's, that's the calendar I'm talking about. You know that January is the beginning of the month. We celebrate New Year's on January 1st. And, uh, and let, me, let me stretch your mind here just a little bit, and, and let me ask you some questions you don't have to answer, of course, audibly. Uh, but I want you to think about this, uh, and, and this is not difficult, all right? We live in Ohio. What is the coldest months of the year? Well, you know that. December, January, February. Praise the Lord, we're getting out of those months, and the temperature is getting warmer, and we are, uh, of course, enjoying that, all right? And what's, what's the hottest time of the year? Well, that would be obvious. It's July, June, July, and August. Uh, those, that's our summer months, and those are the winter months. And, and we've grown up with that our whole life, so we're very familiar. I mean, we don't bat an eye. We don't think about it twice that those are the hot times and those are the cold times. If I asked you when you plant seed and you were a gardener, you might know this. I probably would not. Uh, but I, I think you plant seed somewhere in March and April and, and you know, in the springtime. I know that you plant some seeds. And, uh, and, and then they would grow uh, during the summertime and harvest time uh, would be during the fall time. Now watch with me just for a minute. If you were to live in Peru, which you do not, but if you were to live in Peru, the coldest time of the year, ready for this, is June, July, and August. Your mind just blew a circuit. I see smoke all over the auditorium. We're going to set the, 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 the fire alarms off. Why is that? Because it is south of the equator. So, so the, the seasons are completely opposite. Matter of fact, that's normal for them. They think of June, July, August as the, hot, as the cold time. That's winter months for them. They think of, of December, January, and February as summertime for them. And now you're thinking, well, Santa Claus, he always dresses up in warm clothes. Not in South America. He carries a surfboard and he wears shorts. Kid you not. So now that just blew all your minds. You're like, wow, that is crazy. But that's, they've grown up like that. That's, that's what they know. They, they would think it very strange and very odd to have June, July, and August as very hot months and, and December, January, and February as very cold months. That would be odd to them. Uh, so we're talking about the Jewish calendar. Now, they, now that you kind of understand the, the difference of, of different areas, being in a Jewish mindset is even far more removed than the Gregorian calendar that we use that would be the normal January, February, March, April, May, June, July. The whole concept of it is different. 
And so I want to just kind of explain briefly. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I do want you to grasp uh, the idea and the concept behind the Hebrew calendar so that you can kind of understand. For example, this year, Easter falls on April 4th. Uh, sometimes it, it falls later. Sometimes it falls earlier. And, and if you understand, it, maybe you're thinking, well, why is that? How does that work? Well, Passover always falls on the same time, not the same time on our calendar, but it falls on the same time in the Hebrew calendar. The Hebrew calendar is not based on the earth revolving around the sun, but the Hebrew calendar rather is based on the moon revolving around the earth. Does that make sense? That takes place uh, about every... Uh, 29 to 30 days. It depends on when. Uh, some months, just like in our Gregorian calendar, some months uh, have more days and some have less. The same thing is true with the Hebrew calendar. And now get ready for this. Uh, now we have a leap year. Every four years, we tack on an extra day in the month of February. Well, in the Hebrew calendar, because uh, it, it does not line up exactly uh, every so often, and I don't remember exactly when, uh, they add an extra month. Well, that's pretty wild. And so uh, they will have an entire extra month in their calendar added on because the, uh, the amount of times the, the moon revolves around the earth does not line up exactly with the amount of times the earth revolves around the sun. Okay, so they're two totally different concepts and two totally different mindsets. Now, I want you, now, if maybe you won't ever get that, and that's okay, but I do want, what I do want you to understand is they are, they are completely different. And that is the reason that Easter will hop around on our calendar and move on our calendar because it's not based on our calendar, it's based on God's times table and the Hebrew calendar. And when we read our Bible and we understand this, look with me again at Exodus chapter number 12 and verse number 2. The Bible says, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So we celebrate, uh, we celebrate the first day of the year in January on January 1st. Of course, December ends out our year and January will start our new year. The Hebrew calendar is a little bit different. They would celebrate their new year in the month of Abib or Nisan. Uh, both are used in the Bible. And so both of those months, they, of course, some, sometimes it will start in March for them. Sometimes it will start in April. And that's why, uh, uh, that's why Easter will bounce around and it will be different based on their calendar year, not our calendar year. And, and it gets really um, interesting just to look, of that, look at that and understand that. But understand all of this, that God declared uh, the month of Abib uh, for, for them to be the beginnings or the new year for them. And as we think about that, uh, I was just looking back through the archives just uh, for fun, and, and I saw that Pastor, uh, Pastor Jacobs preached on January 3rd, let's begin again. It's not uncommon for us to preach uh, a New Year's message around the very first of the new year. That's something that many pastors throughout all of the U.S. do that. Why? Because a new year is kind of like turning a chapter uh, or a new page in our book and we have an opportunity to write a, sl a clean slate and write a new story for a new year. That's the way we kind of think of things. 
And in the Hebrew mind here, they would be the same idea. If you remember the fact that Israel has been in slavery for over four years in the in the country of Egypt and God has sent all of these plagues that have taken place and they're up to the very final plague that would be the Passover lamb and that where God had instructed them to take a lamb and to shed that blood and to put it on the doorpost and the death angel would not kill them what a picture of salvation and so that's like the beginning that is a new life for them. And he says right there in verse number two, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. And so in the Hebrew mind, when they celebrate Passover and when they look at that, it's, to like, it's like a new year to them and they have a clean slate and they're looking forward and they're saying, what am I going to do? What are my New Year's resolutions this year? And listen, when you get saved, the Bible is abundantly clear. It is like a new beginning. And there is a picture of that all tied together in this celebration of the Passover. And every single year, the Jewish mind that would celebrate the Passover as it would look forward to the lamb uh, that takes away the sin of the world, uh, they would say, hey, there's a new beginning. And listen, every time somebody gets saved, it's like the blood that is applied to the doorpost and they have a new beginning that's starting in front of them. Man, what a symbolic picture it is to be able to understand and realize that salvation gives us a new beginning and a new birth. Turn with me in John chapter number 3. Save your spot in Exodus chapter 12 as we'll be back there. But John chapter number 3, we know the passage. But I want you to turn there for, to see it in the Word of God. John chapter number 3. And in John chapter 3, God is, or Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus. And the Bible says here in John chapter number 3, there was a man of the, verse number 1, John 3, 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, that would be the first birth, that would be the natural birth, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, that would be the second birth, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And as I look at the, uh, the Exodus and I look at chapter 12 and it says this is a, a new month and it shall be beginnings unto you, I think also of not just the new beginning of a Christian's life, but I think of a new birth as well. Uh, because listen, as the Bible is very clear, ye must be born again. Salvation 
is that of a new birth, a second birth. It is a spiritual birth. And the Bible says in first, or 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen, you, you, when you, uh, if you see or have, have the opportunity to hold a new baby, man, it's precious. It's like, man, this is new life. It's not been uh, scarred by sin. It's not been marred by the world. It's not been uh, scarred by, by the, the wickedness that lives in the world. And, and yet it's new and going forward. And listen, that is a picture. The new year represents that idea of going forward. Hey, it's a new beginning that all things would be new. And of course, for Israel, it was a picture of them uh, leaving the slavery of Egypt and leaving the bondage of being in bondage to Egypt. And Egypt, of course, would be a type of the world. And, and so there's so many pictures there uh, that explain and show salvation and the change and the newness of life and, and the idea of starting afresh with salvation. And so I want you to notice the month. It's very interesting to look at. It is the month of Abib, and, 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 and though it does not line up exactly with our month of April, it may fall, it might start in, in the month of March, and it might start in the month of April, but it runs right, right around there all the time between March and, and April. And I want you just to understand that that is a month, it is a new month of beginnings for the nation of Israel and for the Jewish people. Look with me at verse number 3 back at our text in Exodus. We see the month. Not only do we see the month, but I want you to notice here in this text, we can see the method of the Passover lamb. Look with me at verse number 3. The Bible says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, that would be the month of Abib, in the tenth day, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. I want you to you can mark that if you underline in your Bible. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year and ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in the night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And so God has given them very strict instructions on what they are to do. Listen, they had never done this before. This was new to them. This was something that God established in this moment when they were leaving out of Israel, or Egypt rather, and leaving the slavery behind. 
And, and of course, the death angel was to come in and there was, he was going to kill all the firstborn of the Egyptians and of the cattle and of the Israelites if they did not put the blood on the doorpost. And so there was serious consequences for not following and heeding the instruction that God had given. And I want you to notice here that as I, I mentioned it and kind of pointed it out in verse number 5, he says, your lamb shall be without blemish. Listen, they were not to, to take a defective, old, non-productive lamb that did not serve them any longer. You have to understand, these people were, uh, they were farmers. They were, their, their livelihood was cattle, or, or in this case, lambs and goats and things of that nature. And so the more goats and lambs that you would have would be, would be more wealth for you to acquire. And so they didn't drive around and say, man, look at that guy's house. Look at that guy's car. That, that didn't matter to them. They didn't have cars anyways. But they weren't looking at that. You know what they did? They would drive around. Man, look at that guy's herd of, 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 uh, of lamb. He's got a lot of, I don't know if lambs are called herds or not. Maybe I, uh, I don't know what they're called when they're all together. You know, each, each group of animal, birds or flocks and uh, and, and cow are herds, but I don't know about lambs. So, uh, but they would look at that and they'd say, man, look at that, guys. He's got, man, he's got a lot of wealth there. They're fat. They, are, they look really good. They're healthy. And, and they would look at that, and that was their possession. And goats and things of that nature. But listen, they weren't to take something that was washed up, that was used up, that was no longer good to them, that would not serve them, it would be very easy and very tempting to say, well, you know, this lamb, we've had it for a long time. We've sheared it, man, and, and, and it just doesn't even hardly produce. He barely can walk. Let's offer one. He's no good to us. <clears throat> and the idea there is the implication <clears throat> that God wanted to set aside something as a type that was very perfect, that was very useful, something that was in the prime of its life, something that was uh, of good value and of great value and not something uh, that was washed up and used up. And listen, so often uh, we want to offer to God the seconds and we want to give them, well, you know, I got this and it doesn't, it doesn't serve me anymore. Maybe I'll, I'll give that to God. <clears throat> God's interested. God gave us his best. And he's interested in us giving him our best. He doesn't want the seconds and leftovers and the things that are used up and the things that are broken and the things that are, are done. Now, God will take whatever and he will use whatever you give him. Uh, but I'm telling you this, uh, it is a principle in the word of God that we would give our first fruits. That would be the first. That would be something that's useful. Man, I haven't had these. Uh, in Bible times, they would wait for the harvest. And, and of course, that first fruit that would come, uh, they didn't have freezers and refrigeration and, and advanced methods to hold on to stuff. Uh, you only ate the food that was in season when it was in season. And when it was out of season, you didn't eat it. And so when that first fruit came along and you said, man, I haven't had this in a long time. I can't wait to sink my teeth in this. Wait a minute. It goes to God. First fruits belong to God. And they would give that to God. It was something useful. But listen, this doesn't necessarily, uh, though God was teaching them that, the, the type and the, the idea here 
points to Jesus Christ as being a lamb without blemish. That would be an absolute sinless offering that Jesus Christ was. The Bible says it many times. I was actually surprised when I looked at it. Of course, I thought of uh, one of the verses that comes to mind regularly, uh, but, but you can jot these down. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse number 15, it says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And it's talking about Jesus Christ. And the fact is that he was tempted in all points like as we are. You can go to Matthew chapter 4. We won't go there tonight. You can mark it down. You can go there and you can read it tonight when you get home. And you can find out that, hey, Jesus was tempted. The Bible says the Spirit led him away into the wilderness. uh, And he had fasted for 40 days. And then he was tempted of the devil. And listen, that was a real temptation for him. And he did not sin. Not one time. We find that Jesus Christ lived an absolute sinless life. The Bible says not only in Hebrews 4, uh, 15, but it also says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21. The Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, they would take that perfect lamb that was without blemish, that was useful, that was a year old, its whole life before him and had his strength and his ability and that was the lamb that they were to sacrifice and it was symbolic of Jesus Christ having his life before him and having a perfect record. He would take his, our sin upon himself because he himself was sinless. The Bible goes on in Second or First Peter rather chapter 2 verse 22. First Peter 2.22 it says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. First John 3, 5 says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him was no sin. Why was that so important? Listen, because a sinner would be deserving of death. And Jesus was not deserving of death. But he offered his life so that he could take our sins, take our punishment upon himself. And this lamb was to be a lamb without blemish. And it clearly typifies the Lord Jesus Christ and his offering. When when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. And every Jewish mind thought back to the Passover. And the time when they were in Egypt and the time when they were destined to die, except they would take a lamb and they'd pull it out and they'd cut its throat and they would catch the blood and they'd spill that blood on the doorpost and on the, uh, the, the post up above their head. And it was representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was to be blemish free without sin. Not only that, but it was uh, uh, the, the blood was to be sprinkled. Listen, it was necessary that the lamb die and shed blood. But did you know you could take that lamb, you could separate them, 
you could separate that lamb. You could watch him. On the tenth day of the month, they would take that lamb out of their own flocks. They would watch him. That was uh, when Jesus entered the, uh, the, the uh, uh, Jerusalem. The triumphal entry uh, was on the tenth when that lamb was separated. And, and they watched him for those uh, four days that Jesus sat in Jerusalem and he taught in the temple day in and day out. And they were examining him just like the lamb would be examined as they brought that lamb into their house and they lived with it and they made sure, hey, this lamb is without defect and this lamb doesn't have any problem and that lamb would live with them in their house and then they would offer it as a sacrifice. But listen, they could take that lamb that was a perfect lamb, that was a young lamb, they could kill it, they could take all the blood, they could hold it there in their house. Let me tell you something. If they didn't apply it to the doorposts, hey, the death angel would come by and would kill the firstborn in that house. You see, it's not enough to have a sacrifice offered and have the blood shed, uh, but it must be applied to the very doorpost of the person who desires to be saved. Listen, this morning, or this evening, Jesus Christ did die on the cross and he did shed his blood for you and I. And you can sit here and you can believe that and you can understand that and you can say, well, I know he did it, but if you don't ever apply that blood to your doorpost, listen, you're not saved. What do I mean, apply that blood? I mean, simply ask Jesus Christ to be your own personal Savior. I grew up in a, in, a, in a Christian home my whole life. I, I heard the, uh, the message of salvation from the nursery all the way up. And, and I remember as a young child, uh, listen, I wasn't saved just because my mom and dad were saved. I was saved because I came to a place in my life where I recognized that I, Shane Rice, am a sinner and I needed to be saved and I needed to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my own personal Savior. You know what I did? I called on the Lord Jesus Christ and I said, Jesus, I want you to save me. That's equivalent of taking that blood and applying it to my doorposts and saying, you know what? I want to be saved. It's not enough that Jesus died on the cross. It's not enough that he rose again from the dead. If you do not apply it to your own personal life, then all of that for you is vain. He did not die in vain. Because a lot of people are saved. A lot of people have applied that blood. But for you it would be in vain because you have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. Not only do we have the month of the new beginning and it is the picture of the new life in Christ that we start. And then we have the method of the, the Lamb. And there's so much more symbolism that is in that chapter, but we'll suffice it there to look at the method of, of being a, a Lamb that is without spot and then the, the blood being applied. But I want you to notice as well, look with me in verse number 14 of chapter Exodus chapter number 12. And I want you to see this. The Bible says, and this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Pastor mentioned food this morning, and I thought, he said, well, I don't think it's 
sin to, to talk about food, and no, it's not. Matter of fact, it's biblical. <laughs> they kept it as a memorial. You know what that means? They had a feast. Man, praise the Lord. Now, I, I, I know they did not eat the traditional uh, Easter dinner that I had this afternoon. I know that because we had ham, and that was out for the Jew. I thought, I thought maybe next year I need to have, start having lamb every Easter. Boy, that might be a, a good thing to start. It's not, we're not under the Old Testament law, but I thought, well, that'd be interesting to have lamb instead of have, have, uh, have ham. They kind of rhyme. But there's nothing wrong with celebrating. Matter of fact, God commanded Israel to celebrate that Passover. It was a celebration. Why was it a celebration? Because they were spared their life on that night. And listen, God did not want them to forget that. He wanted them to remember that going forward every single year to have that Passover, to celebrate that time. Why? Because it was a memorial that they would not forget. And listen, Easter being the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ always falls after Passover. Why? Because the Passover was the time when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and he died on the cross of Calvary. And after that Passover, the resurrection, that's what we celebrate. The resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's so tightly tied and integrated with the Passover because Jesus was separated on that 10th day of Abib. And as he, as he uh, had that triumphal entry into Jerusalem and they laid the palm leaves down and the jackets down and, and all of the stuff and they worshiped the Lord as he went in and he was the Passover lamb that was being selected and pulled out and separated and dwelt among them there at Jerusalem for those four days before he was finally crucified on the cross of Calvary on that night of Passover. And then listen, we always celebrate those three days afterwards that he rose again from the dead. What a, what a celebration and a memorial that was passed down from generation to generation. I was thinking about this, and listen, we, we celebrate, uh, we like to celebrate. I mean, there's nothing wrong with celebrations. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate uh, Christmas. We celebrate uh, different holidays, and, and, and that's, you know, there's a lot of celebrations that they have in the Bible that they would celebrate. Listen. We can celebrate our spiritual birthday as well. That would be the time, hey, when we left the bondage of Egypt and that blood was applied to our doorposts. We say, man, praise the Lord, I'm saved and I'm born again and I am now separated from the world. And I want to live for Him. Hey, God commanded the Jews to, to, to have a memorial to remember the Passover lamb and every single year they would do that same thing every year in the month of Abib. And they would do that time and time again. It was a memorial. Look with me right after that in verse number 15. And the Bible says, Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. 
and the first day there shall be an holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be an holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. I noticed that the next thing uh, right after that uh, was applied was the following day. Uh, he said, listen, you were to remove all the leaven out of your house. And for seven days they were to eat unleavened bread. Now unleavened bread is simply uh, bread that, that is not made. Uh, now I'm not a baker and I'm not real familiar with these terms. Uh, but, but yeast makes that bed, bread to rise. And I know there's other ways they can do that too, but... Basically, uh, making bread without yeast, and it doesn't rise. And it becomes kind of like a cracker, like we would use in, in the Lord's Supper, which is one of the reasons that we would use that, because that leaven, the Bible is very clear that throughout the Bible, leaven is uh, symbolic of sin. And they would use that idea here in these verses after salvation. I want you to notice this, that they were to uh, pull all the leaven out of their house and that they were to get rid of it all. And listen, I think that's significant to the believer after salvation. Let's go back and, and we don't have to turn there, but uh, you can mark it down. In Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 1, the Bible, the Bible tells us, uh, that leaven would be comparable to sin. The Bible says, In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And he was warning his disciples. There were several times he mentioned that. And he said, beware of the, uh, of the leaven of the Pharisees. And what he was talking about was the hypocrisy or the sin. And listen, hypocrisy is the greatest form of deception. Hypocrisy means simulation of feigning to be what one is not. Simulation of feigning to be what one is not. And so the idea is to represent that you, something that you are not it basically is lying to people. And, and so the idea, obviously, is that sin should be removed from the believer's life after salvation. Now listen, we're not going to be perfect. Um, and, and you know what? One of the reasons we struggle to understand that Jesus Christ was sinless is because you and I uh, were sinful creatures. We can't hardly fathom going an entire day without sin in our life. In some form or fashion, sin creeps into our life and it's part of our life on a regular basis. And what he's saying here is that, listen, we ought to do our best to purge out the leaven out of our life and to get rid of all the sin that is in our life. After salvation, you cannot clean up your life before salvation. It's not possible. You need the help of God in your life to be able to get rid of those things. And without God, you won't be able to do it. There's many people uh, who have tried and many people who have strived to be a, a very moral person, but they're not able to because it's God that gets rid of that sin in our life. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, and we'll look at the idea of this leaven as it's described in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 6. Because he told them in Israel, he said, listen, <clears throat> after that Passover lamb, hey, you're to get all the leaven out of your house 
and, and you're to eat unleavened bread for seven days. The Bible says here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 6, the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 5, 6, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. In other words, Christ, who was the Passover lamb, who also was without leaven, uh, he said, is sacrificed for us. And he goes on in verse number 8, Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, or not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And God desires, after salvation, that we would purge out the leaven out of our life and that we would serve God with sincerity and truth. In other words, we ought to be sincere in all of our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's asking. Listen, he, all of this, this whole idea of the Passover is symbolic and it points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. That he would come. Listen, Jesus was crucified on that day of Passover. We celebrate Easter three days later. By the way, let me just mention this. It is impossible for Jesus to have died on Friday because he arose on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And you don't get three days between Friday and Sunday. It is not possible. It just doesn't fit. So he was not crucified on a Friday. A lot of people are confused. Our calendar says Good Friday. And, uh, and that is not a biblical uh, holiday. Passover is a biblical holiday. It's talked about in the Bible. And we know that, hey, that was the day he, that he was actually crucified. Our calendar does not always line up with that Hebrew calendar. And so the Easter we celebrate on the first Sunday uh, after that Passover. I think this year it fell on a, a Saturday, and then the following day was a Sunday. We did not celebrate Easter because there was only one day between Passover and and that, that Sunday, so then it fell to the next Sunday because that would be the closest Sunday uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. By the way, it's interesting, as I was studying the, uh, the, the month and the, the calendar and all of that, what is interesting, because our months do not line up with the Bible months, what is interesting, though, is the days have not changed. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, the first day of the week being Sunday, and throughout the Bible time, uh, it has always been seven days in a week. I just found that interesting. That's free. That doesn't even cost you anything extra uh, because it's just always been the same. I found that very interesting. And I, it interests me to try and line up the Hebrew calendar, and it baffles me at the same time. It's, it's over my head, to be honest with you. But I do understand that it is different. It's not the same as our calendar. But hey, listen, Jesus Christ was the Passover lamb. He died on the cross of Calvary on the day of Passover. And then we celebrate Easter, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing to know. Hey, we've celebrated it for thousands of years, the idea of the Passover. Of course, the idea of, of resurrection is new, relatively new, only a couple thousand years instead of 
6,000 years. But still, what a great memorial to be reminded of the Lord Jesus Christ. What great symbolism in the Old Testament that pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God could have put something so particular and so well-designed that it would hold up some 4,000 years later and continue to be celebrated even to this day. What a blessing that God wrote all that down for us and that we can understand that, and that we can have it all written down for our, for our learning, that we could grow from that. With every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet, I hope that helps you understand the idea of the Passover and the Lord Jesus Christ, Easter, and why we celebrate. I know probably most of that stuff you've heard, but it's good to review it, and it's good to be familiar with it, and it's good to thank the Lord for what He's done and how very detailed He put all that together. God, I pray that you'd take this lesson on the Passover. God, you'd help us. Thank you for your word and the, and the recording of it. Help us to keep that for a memorial and to remember what a wonderful sacrifice that you gave your own life. God, it's not as familiar to us though, because we do not practice sacrifices and things of that nature. It's not something that we have done our whole life. But God, it points very clearly to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we thank you for the perfect picture that you set up in your work. God, I pray that you'd help us to purge out the leaven out of our lives and to serve you in sincerity and truth. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, maybe you're here this evening and you'd say, well, I've, you know what, I've never applied that to my life. I've never applied the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to my life, but I want to can today maybe you're listening online and you'd say man I've never done that you can be saved today simply by asking Jesus Christ to save you you can be born again maybe there's some leaven in your life believer, Christian you say I need to I need to purge that out of my life yeah what God wants. He wants us to purge out the leaven, get rid of the sin out of our life, and to serve Him in sincerity and truth.